There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, a podcast that celebrates alone time. It doesn't matter if you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing that all important me time. I'm your host, journalist Francesca Spector. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. This week's guest is author and journalist Sophia Money Coots. One of the times I felt loneliest in my life is that is when you're lying next to someone who, you know, on many levels you love, but you know, or you are realizing isn't, isn't your person. Sophia Money Coots has one of the most memorable names in journalism, and it will come as a surprise to no one that she was formerly the features director at society magazine Tatler. You may recognize her from the Channel 4 documentary Posh People, which went behind the scenes at that very magazine, or else you may have seen her appear on television to explain all things about British manners and the aristocracy, including the most polite etiquette for having a threesome. What you won't know from Sophia's name is that she's also one of the nicest people in the media. A three-time published author, she writes the kind of romantic comedy novels that feel like a night in with a best friend. Sophia Money Coots, welcome to the Alonement podcast and thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem, thank you for having me. How is your lockdown experience going for you? Uh, it has been... Well, I feel quite guilty saying this, actually, because it hasn't been that bad. I um, am living with my sister. I've been living with her and her husband and their two daughters. I moved in in January anyway, and then I've just been here ever since because I sold my flat back then. And I was trying to work out sort of what I wanted to do, where I wanted to live and all that jazz. So I've just stayed here with sort of one bag of clothes. So I'm I have run out of wardrobe, basically, um, and been hanging out with my nieces. So actually, it's been, yeah, it's been pretty great, really. I feel very lucky compared to some. I think if I'd been on my own, well, maybe we'll get onto that. It might have been trickier. Yes, and you were living by yourself just before that. I was living by myself just before um, in my own flat, yeah. I mean, I have, I've had flatmates over the years, and, I, and, I, and my ex lived with me for a bit. But, um, but yeah, right before I moved in with my sister, I was by myself in my flat. 
Yes, so you're, you're happy it sort of turns out this way rather than very prolonged alone periods. Yes, I think even though I think I've got better at living by myself in the past couple of years, I think having if I'd had to do this stretch of time on my own, I would have struggled with that quite a bit. I mean, I've got some single friends who've spent this time on them by themselves, and I'm kind of in awe of a lot of them because they seem to have managed it totally fine. But um, yeah, I think I might have gone around the bend a little bit. Yeah, it's you know, it's a funny one. I've I've lived alone three years, and I will say the first probably year and a half, two years of that, I wouldn't have been able to do this. And now I think I think it's just because it's what I'm used to most. Mm. I mean, it's, yeah, it's destabilizing for everyone so you've been on your own through lockdown I have yes um I will however say it's very different as an experience through lockdown it is a lot harder I think that's the thing isn't it it feels more yeah it just feels so much more sort of I can imagine uh, more sort of hemmed in basically because we could only go out once a day more lonely potentially than mm-hmm. usually when you can call up a mate and go hey do you want to have a glass of wine tonight or have supper or whatever god completely and even I think I didn't realize living in a small space especially as you do in London I didn't realize how much I use the cafe down the road as my living room (laughs) totally exactly I live in coffee shops my old coffee shop in West London was essentially my office um because I find it quite hard I don't know about you I find it quite hard to to work and to write at home normally I quite I'm one of those slightly pretentious writers I suppose who has to go and be in a coffee shop with their laptop and I quite like sort of buzz and noise around me so yeah that's been a bit different (laughs) I guess when you're freelance and you don't have an office, that's the sort of human contact that you get. Also, I think if you live by yourself and you work for yourself, if I didn't go outside of my flat on some days, you know, if I sat at home working on my sofa or my kitchen table, I wouldn't actually have any human face-to-face interaction. And that's just, I just don't think that can be very good for one, really. So even just going to my coffee shop and saying, hello, um, to the extremely handsome man who used to work in my coffee shop, (laughs) Can I have my white Americano? That, you know, at least meant I'd had I'd been forced to sort of interact with someone as opposed to just sitting at home in my leggings all day. Completely. Although I do feel like a trip to West London to your your uh, former local might be warranted after this. <laughs> Go and check him out if he's still there. I haven't been back recently. But um, he he was a tough nut to crack, though. I mean, he was always quite grumpy. He was extremely handsome, but very grumpy. And I, um, yeah, I never really cracked that exterior. So go, by all means, go and find him. I'll send you the address. <laughs> so historically, what has the word alone meant to you? I think historically it's it's had quite a negative connotation for me. Uh, I think, so for someone like me, right, I'm, I'm a single woman, 35. I think the word alone can have quite a lot of negative connotations because it's as if society wants you to be anything other than that, basically. Society at this point, I feel like, tells you that you should be married, with children, perhaps a dog. You shouldn't be living this sort of single life. And even though it's 2020, and I think that's still quite a sort of pervasive message that a lot of us feel. So I've been working really hard on trying to see the sort of positives in the past couple of years and, and and having gone from the word alone having quite negative connotations I think now it, it does actually have more positive connotations for me and I realise god I'm so lucky that I can live by myself and do what I want work and work for myself and I have such enormous flexibility so it used to be very negative but I've basically since since my breakup with my ex I've been sort of trying to work on myself and feeling more positive about it which I think 
mostly I've I've got to I've kind of turned myself around a bit with it yes and I remember it was so it was uh 2018 when you broke up wasn't it yes it was Yes, because um, I remember reading the article that you wrote about that. And it was just, it was so empowering because I think that, I think a lot of people feel, you know, when they're, when they're in their 30s, that they have to stick where they are. And I think that that's, it always seems to me very difficult to imagine sacrificing your life for that. It's the piece that you refer to, the Telegraph one, which had the headline, Why I'm Happy to be Single. Yes, it was. At 34. Okay, so that came out a few months after our breakup. And I felt very guilty because actually nowhere in that piece did I say, Woohoo, I was delighted to be single. Um, and I felt a bit guilty at the headline because I wasn't I wasn't sort of explicitly saying that. I was saying it's a really tough call to make at a certain age to break up with someone, even though you, you know, still love them very much. But on the whole, God, life is, you know, long. And I think, you know, I don't know about you, I've been to a lot of weddings when I've slightly looked at the couple going down the aisle and thought, really? Like you guys, are you sure? Um and I just knew I sort of had to, yeah, had to, as I said, make that call. And it, it wasn't that I was sort of delighted and jumping through hoops about it at all. I was really sad for a long time. But I just knew for me, it wasn't the right, you know, it wasn't the right thing. And I, and I didn't want to, calling it a mistake sounds harsh. I just, I just knew it wasn't for me, basically. And I had to carry on living my, my life by myself for a bit to work out what I did want. I still loved him very much. And I think you can still love someone, but know that it's not the right call. And therefore, somehow you have to find the bravery in a way to to make that call and really, really hurt someone who, you know, thought potentially that that was going to be forever. Yeah, it was it was really grim. And I, and I was 33 at the time. And again, it comes back to that message that society is telling you at that moment, which is, get married, have kids, do that whole thing. That's what you should be doing at this stage. And swimming against that is is really difficult. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to thank you a lot for that piece because <laughs> I... No, but I went through a breakup not long after that. It was, it was oh, actually... Oh, I'm sorry. Almost spooky. No, 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 not at all. And the thing is, it was a similar situation in that on both sides, our friends were all getting engaged. It felt so strange to be doing the opposite. Right. You can feel like a total freak. And I think people sort of you know married friends can give you sort of sympathetic grimaces as if mm, oh like poor them and there is this sort of um sympathy I think that or maybe that's just what I, that's what I'm projecting and I'm imagining this or this sort of oh poor them thing that happens to about single women particularly in their 30s not so much single men of course it's a sort of oh poor her left on the shelf type attitude that I think still exists even though it's 2020 which is just sort of so extraordinary mm. and and it does take I think a lot of strength to to fight that and to yeah try and stand up against that I think but I think you know having you know reading pieces like yours um I think I perhaps read it in the wake of the breakup I can't quite remember but I, mm. I remember that it you know it's it's someone telling you you can go another way mm-hmm. and I think it's just it's so important to have that voice because you know you see on Instagram you see so many I said yes with the hand <laughs> the engagement picture <laughs> yeah Completely. yes not you know I said no <laughs> exactly in fact I make that very joke in my new book I think yes um exactly. <laughs> no one ever puts up a picture exactly saying I said no quite with the hashtag 
Um, yeah, no, it's really difficult. And I think you've just got to keep the faith and believe that at some point, you know, I know at some point I'm going to fall in love again. I'm actually quite a romantic person. So I'll probably fall in love and have my heart broken a million more times in my life. I kind of hope that's the case. But yeah, I just knew that this was the right thing back then, hard though it was. And then it was really hard to sort of find my feet again as a single person. Because yeah, by that point, most of my best mates are hanging out with their kids and their other halves on the weekends. So you then have to, having been with someone for a couple of years, you then have to, I mean, like anyone after a breakup, you just have to make such an effort and sort of reach out. Oh, I hate that expression. Um, but reach out to friends and sort of be very proactive about making plans again, etc. So yeah, it was a bit grim that time. But now I think I'm much better at hanging out by myself and I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's a skill in itself, isn't it? Like, we don't really talk about solitude skills, but they are a thing. Yes. Well, I think just, well, just learning that it's okay on a Saturday night if you don't want to be out having dinner or getting drunk with mates or on a date, it's totally okay to be sitting on the sofa eating a takeaway in your pyjamas. But I think that can feel quite tragic sometimes. I mean, I love, it's it's so weird how that is essentially my perfect night is sitting on the sofa, having a takeaway with a bottle of wine, watching something. And yet if it's a Friday or a Saturday night, there is something inherently that feels quite sad about that. Particularly in London, I think, you can feel like the whole city is out having fun and you're not. You're the sort of sad case who's going home to heat up your chicken tikka masala for one in the microwave kind of thing. <laughs> And yet, and yet, that's the strange thing, isn't it? That is such a great night. It's a great night. You're going to, you know, maybe have a few glasses of wine, have an early night, go to bed, waking up, you know, pretty great, feeling pretty great the next day. There's nothing wrong with that. It's amazing. I'd much rather that than waking up with a sort of crashing hangover and therefore sort of ruining your weekend from the start. People have this assumption, I think because I used to work at Tatler, people always used to say to me, oh my God, you must go to so many amazing parties. And I just am not. I'm quite a sort of homebody who prefers prefers nights on the sofa on the whole I love hanging out with my friends I don't like really going to parties sort of for the sake of going to parties and I kind of have never got over that teenage thing of like of walking into a room where you don't know very many people and and that sort of shy nervousness and also I love an early night that's the other thing I I hate being in bed sort of <laughs> it's really tragic I hate being in bed like after much after 11 or midnight so the thought of, and, I, and that's why I've loved lockdown I've basically been in bed practically like nine ten every night I do find that I do find that fascinating though because that you that you say that you're sort of not really a party person. When I first came across you, it was on the Posh People documentary. <laughs> and then God, your <laughs> life looked amazing. <laughs> oh, that Tatler documentary, that was amazing. Yeah, I think I think the perception of anyone probably who works at Tatler or who did my job, um, or who maybe even like has my absurd name is that they would be a sort of socially outgoing, party loving person. And I don't want to sound like a real Grinch. You know, I love a, I love a good party, but equally I love hanging out with like my small group of very close mates. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself really an extrovert who has to go to 10 parties a night type of thing. That's not me at all. Um, so yeah, I'm happier in smaller groups of company, I think. Mm, yes. Sort of a quality rather than quantity. Yeah, I think so. Maybe that's an age thing as well. I think maybe that changes once you've gone from your 20s into your 30s and maybe it's just energy <laughs> you realize you want to conserve those really big nights out for hanging out with your you know your best mates as opposed to just random groups of people you sort of meet in the pub like you do when you're in your 20s 
Yeah, it's true. You know, we have finite amount of energy. I think people are perhaps more aware of that now. Again, maybe maybe that's a lockdown thing. I hear people talking about Zoom fatigue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I got that quite early, actually, even to the extent that quite some quite close friends, they kept saying, let's have Zoom hangouts, let's have Zoom hangouts. And I think Zoom, the maximum number of people for a proper conversation is about four. Any more than that, I reckon it was a bit unwieldy and everyone's shouting over one another and it all got a bit exhausting. So I, um, yeah, I ducked out of Zoom calls. It's one of those things that I want to take into, you know, general post, uh, post-lockdown life. I, I think, you know, groups of people of about that many kind of works because otherwise either, yeah. you have, yeah, either I think it's nice having a smaller intimate situation or a big party. I feel like you can sort of get into those intimate situations within it. As long as it's not your own party see I hate I'm very weird about my birthday I really hate my birthday and I don't like I've actually never been one of those women who's envisaged like their wedding or their big day because I'm quite weird about marriage but from what I've gathered from friends if it's you know if it's your party your wedding then it's that thing of having to rush around and you don't speak to anyone properly so you you don't get any of you don't get that chance to sort of hang out with a small gaggle of Mm -hmm. people in a corner uh, I found that actually at my book launch, I've had two book launches before and I've kind of loved them, but equally found them quite stressful because the sort of spotlight's on you in a way. And again, that I, I'm not totally comfortable with that. And you have to sort of perform and make a speech and make sure you say hello to everyone. And yeah, and I find that quite intimidating. So I'm sort of happier when the book launches are all done and dusted. That's interesting. I mean, <laughs> you've had so you've had you've had two. So you've had it was uh, the plus one, and yeah. w- what happens now? What happens now? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And good homework. <laughs> Thank you. Do you think that almost a lot of women a wedding is their biggest, most special day? Whereas to I mean, to not many people write novels. No, yeah. that's true. But I, I kind of I've written about this before. I, I, I was about to say I hate the fetishizing of weddings, which is probably a bit strong because lots of my friends are married and I've enjoyed those weddings much, um, very much. I think, though, we do fetishise weddings still, and I think that sets everybody up for such an unhealthy relationship, really, with weddings and, and marriage and what it's about, because it's not really about that day, is it? It's about everything after that. In fact, actually, Alan de Botton, who I know you had on as your first guest, who I love, his novel, is it The Course of Love?, is is all about that and it, it's about a couple you know he starts off the novel by saying I'm gonna follow this couple's relationship from the point where most romantic novels normally stop as in after they've just met um and are falling in love and yes I think that we have enormous problems with sort of weddings and we obsess about them and I've seen friends of mine really intelligent brilliant friends of mine sort of lose their minds for a year, maybe two years over what colour napkin rings they should have or what sort of what colour roses they should have. And it sounds quite mean of me to grumble about that because, of course, how lovely. Of course, you want that day to be very, very special. But I just think it's obsessing about the wrong thing, really. So. So, yes, my I think I did make that joke, actually, in my first book launch, that it was essentially my my wedding. Um <laughs> sort of my version of it but I still was quite glad when it was over because I just don't like I don't like that attention really even though it was a wonderful like very celebratory party and my first one was at Claridge's it was amazing um I just was quite glad when we finished and we went around the corner to a pizza express and had pizzas because that was like oh, okay you've done yeah that's the real celebration yeah that totally was for me me and my Fiorentina pizza that was the that was the highlight for me I think <laughs> 
Another thing I wanted to speak about, so you've spoken very openly about going through the process of egg freezing. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, you know, that's something that is becoming a lot more popular at the moment. And um, is it important to you to sort of kind of lead the way in that respect? Yes, it, it is to me. And it has become more important because I first wrote about it nearly a year ago and was sort of gobsmacked by the reaction, really. I got so many emails and DMs and messages, etc., from women, sort of almost as if they were confessing to the same thing, that, that, that I could sense the sort of relief in a way that they were telling me, they were sharing their stories of, oh, I've just had my second round, or I've just had my third round, or I've just had my fourth round in one case of egg freezing. Um, and I think there is still this, I've learned since then, I think there is this, cloak of shame that still hangs over women uh, who decide to freeze their eggs, partly for all the reasons that we've talked about, because weddings are so fetishized and being single at this age is still frowned upon or sort of seen as very undesirable. And, and so I decided that I wanted to, having written about it initially, I decided I wanted to a, do it myself, because I was quite unsure still a year ago. So it's taken me about a year to get my head around the idea of doing it personally. And then also um, make a podcast, which is sort of a diary of my uh, progress through it and and write more about it, because I just think the more that we can talk about it and be open about it, the better, so that it's not such a taboo thing. I genuinely you know, consider it the most proactive thing that a woman my age could do and have spent a long time you know, reading researching into it thinking about it and um yeah I'm very very pro it also I always have to say this it's obviously very very lucky that I can do it because it's not a cheap process but I do think if you can it's a really good thing to consider having said that I'm literally about to start the injections any second now <laughs> and I haven't so I'm pretty terrified about that so I might say something very different in a couple of weeks if you were <laughs> going to speak to me then I went to the hospital and was given a, a lesson with a needle they gave me a tiny little dinky cushion that I had to hold to my stomach and stab it with that. I mean, God knows, we'll see. I've got friends who've done it and they've managed. So I keep thinking, come on, get a grip. You can do it. I think it's good to have had people to navigate it with because otherwise, you know, I think, you know, again, alone has a lot of connotations. It can be quite a lonely thing to go through if you, if you haven't got. Yes. Um, I think one of the places actually that I felt lonely recently is the fertility clinic because they're quite strange places fertility clinics anyway you're sort of sitting in there thinking god this is weird like how did I get here I don't feel old enough or advanced enough in life to be sitting in a fertility clinic it's bizarre and then I think if you go there as a single woman it's quite I, I always observe the people around me and more often than not it's mostly couples and I suspect you know of course you don't know their personal the details of their personal lives but you know you think okay well maybe they're here having IVF or they're here you know having certain fertility treatments and as a single woman you can definitely feel a bit lonely because you it sounds a bit bitter but you can look at couples and say okay well they they are potentially having IVF but at least they've got each other whereas you can be sitting there in a slightly self-pitying way perhaps thinking well it's just me on my own doing this and that can feel a bit lonely but again then I always try and come back to but it is a really um, positive progressive thing to be doing. I think it's so important that you're speaking about it so openly because, you know, even to go through something where you're injecting yourself, I imagine that just it's quite easy to feel vulnerable in the moment with it. Mm, I think, yes, actually a friend of mine who's 
had it said finding yourself she she was injecting at work and she said finding herself injecting in like the cubicle in the work bathrooms that was quite a low point for her and like not telling anyone and you know women who are going through IVF will be doing exactly the same but I think and and they've got the added pressure because they're actively therefore going to be trying to get pregnant in a couple of weeks whereas those of us having egg freezing aren't necessarily doing that we're just doing it for you know potentially some point down the line but I think I'm sure I will over the next couple of weeks have some (laughs) low moments with my needles so I'm kind of quite intrigued to see to see what happens. From what I've gathered, speaking to girlfriends, some say they breeze through it. Some say, in fact, I spoke to a friend of mine last night who said it was sort of hellish. So that was helpful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, again, I will just come back to, the, to reminding myself that it is a very empowering thing that down the line, you know, it could be my baby. So that's pretty great. You know, it's, it's such an interesting time in history, I think, for you know, in, in, even in the last few years, it, w- it will change society, I think. For women, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of um, fertility experts I've read who say after the pill, they genuinely think this is the sort of next wave of emancipation for women because it it allows us to have, take so much control over our reproductive lives. So hopefully, it's basically, there's a whole, I mean, I don't need to get into the whole science of it, but yeah, in the past five, six years, there's a new scientific technique that they use with egg freezing which is why it's become much more successful although the data is still um there's not much data because not many women have come back yet to use their frozen eggs um but yeah i do think as it as as women hopefully do that more and more the success rates will go up and more people will be encouraged to do it because it does just give you so much more control you know it means i think a lot of women me certainly if i hadn't been able to do this i might have thought harder about you know, trying to find a boyfriend again and and that hideous phrase settling down. But I would never want to have settled down with someone purely for the sake of having children, because I just think that's a sort of could be a recipe for disaster if that's your that's the main drive behind finding someone. Yeah. And I think it's almost it's not it's not fair to both parties, I suppose, to almost make your own life and your own potential for a loving relationship collateral to to doing something at a certain time Mm -hmm. no I think a lot of people do and and I think for a lot of women obviously that biological drive that biological clock is is incredibly strong I mean mine I don't think still hasn't really kicked in yet I can I still feel like I'm fairly rational when I think about do I want a baby do I want children um but I think if there's anything that gives women more choice these days then that's got to be a good thing right and I do think that egg freezing provides that yeah. Do you think that, you know, you say that you don't feel necessarily like you want to have kids right now. Do you think mm. that it might change things if you meet a partner who you think you'd want to have children with? Or do you think that you might explore having children alone further down the line if you've got the option with egg freezing? Yeah, I am actually exploring. I'm exploring the idea of having a baby by myself, single motherhood. And again, it's an incredibly daunting thing to try and get my head around. And I was messaging um, a woman who's done it recently and she said it actually took her three years to get her head around the whole thing. Again, because of the sort of societal messages that we all receive and it's not what everyone does, right? It's very easy at my age to look around and look at all my friends and think, God, they've all managed to make it happen. So why haven't I? But I do think, I think I'm independent enough and feel very lucky that I feel strong enough to potentially do it by myself instead of oh, like desperately scrolling through Hinge and thinking, shit, I got to find someone because that's that's my only option. I think it's amazing that that's not my only option these days. And I could, you know, trawl the London sperm bank or the California sperm bank or the various sperm banks. 
and and do it by myself so yeah it is something I'm trying to get my head around at the moment but it's such a big decision I'm it's not, I'm, I'm not going to do it tomorrow also because we're in lockdown and the only man I'm living with is my um, brother-in-law but uh but yeah <laughs> I'm just thinking of it in the future and it's quite a freeing decision that because it therefore means that you relax a bit on the dating front you know it takes that entire pressure off so yeah sure if, if someone wandered along tomorrow if Mr Wright came into my life tomorrow then that might be different but I don't know how likely that is at the moment. So again, because I'm living with my brother-in-law, who I love very much, but <laughs> he's spoken for. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just investigating options at the moment, basically. Yes, I think it is that difference between settling and settling down. Yes, I. Oh God, I just have such an issue with that word, though. I just, I think that talking of words that have negative connotations, that I think that is quite unhelpful option often. The word, the phrase settling down, because it's sort of as if your elderly grandmother, you know, is waggling her finger at you saying, when are you going to settle down? Which I think if you're feeling if you're a single woman, I know I've got girlfriends of mine who who feel this. If you're a single woman who already feels self-conscious enough about being single, you know, she isn't with someone and asking someone who's like that when they're going to settle down doesn't help very much. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And so we're kind of touching on the difference between, you know, alone and lonely. And do you think there's something about about life stage and sort of feeling out of step that does make that can make a certain situation feel more lonely when previously it would have been, you know, less so? Yeah, I definitely I think I think being mid thirties as a single woman, there's a lot that one can feel lonely about. But whenever I have moments of feeling lonely, I think what you've just got to try and do is what I do is remind myself what I what I have as opposed to what you don't have. I think when you feel lonely, it's when you're busy sort of wallowing in, in self-pity slightly and thinking, oh, I don't have a partner or I don't have children or I don't have this or that. Actually, what do I have? Well, I've got the most amazing group of friends. I've got the most amazing family. I've got um, the most amazing job that I love doing. And well, until lockdown, I traveled a lot. You know, I've got a lot of stuff going on that I love. Um, and therefore it's you know to avoid getting trapped into a sort of spiral of of feeling blue and lonely I think it's important to sit and sort of reflect on the good stuff basically which is sort of that sounds a bit sort of therapy um speak but but yeah I think it's if you're if you're feeling a bit blue I think it's easy to make yourself feel worse by obsessing about the lack of stuff in your life where Mm. I'm very lucky because I have a lot really yeah I think it's really I think it's interesting because we have a society where we prioritize romantic love so much marketing sense or social media sense. But, you know, when you look at the love in your life and I I often think as, you know, as a single woman myself as well, you know, I often think I have so much love. And also, you know, I, I think there's almost an amazing thing after a breakup that that love floods in, in a way, you know, you notice it a bit more rather than sort of concentrating your energies on one person. Yes, that's true. Well, when you start hanging out with your friends again and yeah, no, I think that is true. It's very easy to forget. Well, I, yeah, you're right. We obsess about romantic love and when you're feeling sort of lonely or sad about being single, that can feel, it can feel as if it's the only love in the world. It's true. And that therefore, if you don't have it somehow, then, then you're, you're lonely and you're lacking. But again, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super close. Actually, I'm very lucky. As long as I've got my brother and my sister and I can ring them up and sort of grumble to them and chat to them, um, then all is fine. 
they make me feel a lot less lonely in those moments. And how, so also, you know, again, we've talked about the amazing strength it takes to end a relationship, mm. um, you know, especially a relationship that, as you yeah, as you wrote about, you know, you thought at one point was going to be... It, the thing. It, the, yeah. the, the end. <laughs> yeah. Like ever after. Um, was there a certain loneliness in that? Because I imagine having to make that decision by yourself. Yes, I think... Um, oh, God, I mean, I've had this in, in all my relationships, I think, and I'm sure a lot of people will recognise that feeling. You know when you... It might be towards the end of a relationship and you fall into bed next to this person who you... Who is your partner, who you might have been with for several years... And yet you feel very lonely. I think that is one of the times I felt loneliest in my life is that is when you're lying next to someone who, you know, on many levels you love, but you know, or you are realizing isn't, isn't your person forever, if there is such a thing. And I think that, oh God, it's the worst feeling in the world, that, that loneliness when you think, but I'm here with them. And yet I still feel this sort of pit of loneliness inside me. I, I, yeah, I, I recognise that. And I've had that in all my relationships. It's, it's desperately sad, that moment, like a realisation, basically. So, so yeah, I think, you know, towards the end of a relationship, you can have these moments when, when it hits you. And it's like the hideousness of breaking up with someone is still ahead of you. The really, really hard bit is, is, is what you've got to do. So, oh, God, I can't, you know, I, sometimes I joke I would be happy to be single forever to avoid that sort of loneliness again because I think it's it's so desperately sad but then you wouldn't get all the good stuff of falling in love with someone either so I think there's a, there's a real fear sometimes of getting into a relationship because of all of that so it's sort of masochistic I also you know we can't wrap ourselves in cotton wool too much if we try and avoid the bad bits of the relationship you, you know you don't get the good bits it's like that quote about grief being the price you pay for love isn't it you know that's what you've got to go through to have that amazing heady wonderful bit of falling head over heels in love with someone but I do really really I really recognize that moment of sort of lying in bed or getting into bed with someone and it's almost awkward it almost feels like they're a stranger sometimes on, in yeah. those moments and you just think oh god how do I how do I solve this how do I rectify this and and it can still be really unthinkable, you know. I think when you get to the moment when you break up with someone, life after them is almost unimaginable. I think in many cases, and yet you know, you still know that you've got to do it somehow. You've got to find the words and um, and get through it because hopefully after that things will somehow get better. Not immediately. I really wallow in my breakups. <laughs> it takes me a long time to get over them. Um, but I've always known that hopefully it's for the best in the long term. Yes. Yeah. And it is, I, I agree, it is that sort of leap of faith. And I suppose, I mean, wallowing can be good because at least it, you can get it. <laughs> I think a bit of wallowing is good. I mean, I really, I really put myself through it sometimes by sort of listening to sad Tracy Chapman songs, which is every Tracy Chapman song, <laughs> and sort of sobbing. I remember, yeah, with my last breakup, listening at one point to Tracy Chapman in the car and really wailing in the car. Oh, and then eventually making making myself turn off Tracy Chapman because I was sort of so hysterical. I, my eyes had become so puffy I could hardly see to drive. Anyway, it was a ridiculous scene. This sounds like a hazard. <laughs> it makes me think of um, Elizabeth Day. I said before on her podcast, mm. the reason that she, well, one of the reasons she started the podcast was because she couldn't listen to music after her breakup because it was so sad. Oh, did she say, I haven't heard her say that. That's interesting because I, that's funny. I basically didn't listen to music for about a year, probably about a year after my breakup, actually, it's true. I just didn't want to, because music, yes, 
in a heartbeat can change your mood or emotion right so yeah i i did a i did a immediately after the breakup i did a good bit of tracy chapman wallowing and then the sort of next phase of getting over someone i stopped myself listening to music because i was like right that's enough we've got to try and put yourself together somehow yeah so it's so it's the yeah, first stage tracy chapman second stage first stage real <laughs> wailing and tracy chapman and then yeah. second stage almost sort of as a protective measure like no music you know no sad films etc so I have to ask, which is the definitive Tracy Chapman breakup song? Just in case, you know, any anyone needs it. In oh, my God, there is one. I can't think what it's called. There was one I just vividly remember being in my car. I can't remember what it's called, but there was... I'll have to look it up and email you later. Was it Sing For You? I feel like No, it's not that. I don't even know if I'd know the, what it's called, but okay. it's so sad. I think... And actually, weirdly, my breakup before, there was a passenger song... Is that one called Gold? Golden Thread. There's a passenger song called Golden Thread, which was my previous breakup song that I couldn't listen to either because I listened to it in the immediate aftermath so much and, again, got hysterical. So, yeah, certain <laughs> tracks that I now have to sort of avoid forever. Okay, this is, this is going in the show notes. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, fine. I'll send it to you and then you can put them there. For, <laughs> if anyone wants a good sob, <laughs> I recommend these. On the experience of loneliness, we've spoken a lot about it in a relationship context. Mm-hmm. Would you say that within a relationship's context that that's been the most acutely or has there been other times in your life where you felt very lonely? Um, I think in a relationship, in my relationships previously, it's been bad. But no, it's not exclusively towards the end of relationships. I think I've gone away quite a lot for writing in the past couple of years. So I went to Yorkshire for a few months to write my second book. And I rented a tiny cottage in North Yorkshire, uh, which was incredible on many levels, right on the edge of the North York Moors. Um, But very romantic, actually, in many ways. But um, it was quite isolated. And actually, that was that was around the time that I was breaking up with my ex as well. And I yeah, that was I'd go for long, long, long walks by myself. So walking is one of my favorite things to do. Um, particularly when I'm trying to work on a book because it helps with ideas. And I would I would often find myself in the middle of the York Moors, sort of it would practically be getting dark because it was sort of autumn. And and part of me loved the wildness and the romance of it, but those moments could feel quite lonely as well. Um, and then for my third book, I went to Norfolk uh, towards the end of last year to do the same. And while I loved it and I was in this amazing house by the sea, there were definitely moments when I'd, I remember I used to sort of make my baked potato, you know, for myself in the evening and I'd be sitting down by myself in this house having my baked potato for supper. And there's something, there was something sort of quite tragic. It was almost like if I had an out-of-body experience, it would look quite sad imagining myself sitting at this sort of Formica kitchen. It was a wonderful house, but it was very old and sort of dilapidated and falling down. And I, I sort of, pitied I could I was slightly pitying myself just there eating my solitary supper by myself night after night after night in this very isolated place again in Norfolk so I've had moments yes definitely when I've been away from writing I felt quite lonely but maybe that's again I don't want to sound too wanky but you know part of the process um I quite like I still you know I'm planning to do it again I'm planning to take myself away again to write my fourth book um in a few months and probably I'll have moments of intense loneliness again when I do that. But I, maybe it's very sadistic. I just 
quite like putting myself through it. <laughs> well, that's it. Is is you know because um the, you know the wonderful songs we spoke about earlier are all written inspired by loneliness. So much of art is inspired by mm. loneliness, and I suppose it, it's really interesting that it it, it is. It's a, it's a difficult feeling, but it's something that you do put yourself through again and again. Yes, it's true. I mean, Orwell, not to compare myself to Orwell, obviously, but Orwell took himself off to the Hebrides uh, with, you know, whiskey. And that's how he did it. I um, yeah, I definitely need I definitely need solitude for long periods of time. But I equally know that I can I go a bit sort of. I can de- I can go a bit blue when I'm by myself for very long stretches. I mean, the longest time I did in Yorkshire without actually really having any face-to-face contact was three weeks. I mean, I spoke to my mum and people on the phone when I was up there, but I didn't, and I'd go to the local co-op to, you know, buy my supper and stuff, but I I didn't have a proper conversation with a human being for three weeks face-to-face, and that was that was quite strange. Um, and definitely I felt a bit discombobulated um, after that. So, but then, God, I mean, people in lockdown have done much longer than that you know single you know you've done longer than that presumably in the past couple of months but not in um not in the Yorkshire Moors or not in, that's true yeah 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 um but but yeah but equally I, I you know I love it I'm really looking forward to I'm sort of trying to work out where I should go in September at the moment again for another stretch of time by myself and I I know I also love it it's a very funny relationship that I have with with those long stretches of time that I go away yeah and, but, and then I think it makes me really look forward to coming back and seeing my friends again that's the other great thing I go away I do long times long spells by myself and then coming back to London and going out for dinner with mates if we can ever do that again is a really wonderful moment so maybe it makes me appreciate those all the more that's interesting yes Mm. I mean I think the difficulty so I, I spoke earlier about how living alone in lockdown is very different to generally and I think the the difficulty with that is you forget how much actually having other people sort of validates or brings value to your alone time Mm -hmm. or just lifts you you know I went for a walk with I obviously haven't been living by myself in lockdown but I went for a walk with um some married friends of mine on a weekend and we got a takeaway coffee and we just walked around Vauxhall City Farm and I came back home again having seen them like almost high on the interaction and it just reminded me that yeah friends friends are pretty great right um and I love that it was it was really wonderful so yes hopefully wherever I end up in the country I always go away to the country so it always has to be quite remote um when I come back again I will I will have renewed enthusiasm for seeing all my friends again it's funny yeah it sounds it sounds kind of blissful but also for three weeks I I yeah I I think that's amazing It's quite weird. I know a lot of my friends think it's quite weird. And I, a friend of mine last week, I said I was planning to do it again. And she was like, okay, but you didn't love the end of Norfolk because it was in November when it started getting, when it starts getting dark in the countryside and it's cold and I was living in a really cold house. That's when it gets quite gloomy. You know, it gets dark at like four in the countryside and it's pitch black and, you know, that's you hunkering down for the night. Um, But yeah, I still want to do it. Still going to do it again. (laughs) Okay. So that's, you know, that that is sort of a lonely experience and it can, mm-hmm. it can be, but it's also something that I suppose you, you gain creatively from. What would you describe as your experience of alonement? So alonement is obviously, you know, a word to describe 
time alone that you celebrate so it's a positive yeah like a positive Mm -hmm. like the polar opposite to loneliness Mm -hmm. what would that be for you I think my favorite kind of alonement is probably this is gonna make me sound so spoiled checking into a really amazing hotel by myself so when I was at Tatler that was it was Tatler I was we got sent on so many amazing press trips. The, the freebies, basically, the travel freebies at Tatler were insane. It's kind of one of the things I think I've missed most about working there. And I got sent on absurd trips to write. I mean, always always to write about them. So technically they were work. But I went to the Bahamas by myself. I went to Chicago, New York by myself. And I I went to Japan at one stage by myself. Actually, that was for the Telegraph. It wasn't for Tatler. And I remember checking into really like extraordinarily great hotels and the hotels I could never afford in real life right so it was it was only because I was reviewing them or writing about them and that luxury of being shown to a sort of oh my god in LA I got put into a suite in the Bel Air which is sort of one of the world's nicest hotels and that thing of being shown to your room like a freaking movie star with a bath the size of a swimming pool and a bed the size of a house is is my favourite kind of alonement. And then, you know, going to eat in the world's nicest restaurant at that hotel, that is real sort of luxury and alonement time for me. I love it. Do you think that was almost... So, okay, people go one of two ways. Some people think that dining out alone is the scariest thing that they'll never do. Some people think it's the height of luxury for themselves. And people often, you know, change during their lives with this. And I think, I think business travel can be because it almost gives someone a reason to mm. do it something that you know can be stigmatized do you think that that was almost like a gateway drug for you to enjoy those things yes I think it legitimized them I think I would exactly I, I'd be sitting in my hotel in the Bahamas being like well I'm here on a very important story so that's why I'm here um and actually specifically in the Bahamas I could I could see because it's, it's a place called Harbour Island and it's a big sort of honeymoon destination the beach is often voted sort of world's most beautiful beach it's a really extraordinary place and I could see a lot of people when I came down for dinner every night with my book and my and would then order you know a glass of wine and sit there eating and reading by myself I could see lots of concerned mostly Americans because they I think the vast majority of the tourism there is made up by Americans sort of frowning and whispering to each other about me thinking oh gee has that poor girl been I can't do an American accent has that poor girl been (laughs) not American anyway had I been left at the (laughs) I can't do it had I been left at the altar basically and I had I come on my sort of honeymoon by myself I could definitely sense that's what they were thinking I was so blissfully happy um I mean yes had it been a holiday by myself that I paid for well a I couldn't have afforded it anyway but um it might have felt a bit a bit different but yes because I was there on official work Tatler business I am um, I was I was relaxed and that felt okay but it is just such a luxury I am um, I do really love it so now you know now that you're freelance and you know that there's less opportunity to do that for work mm. would you invest in going for a nice meal by yourself or go on holiday by yourself oh good point I would definitely invest and I do invest on if the restaurants were ever open again um going out for lunch or dinner by myself I think going to stay in expensive hotels by myself I might but you just realize when you haven't paid for them and then you look up how expensive they are you're like I'm not gonna spend that on a night in a bed like come on um so that unless one of my books is you know made into a film that pleasure might have to wait a bit um yeah 
I could definitely, I can definitely do restaurants. I think spending sort of hundreds of pounds on hotels, huh? But they would have to be a really, really amazing hotel, I think, to to justify that. Yeah, it's difficult as well because it obviously costs twice as much. It's so mad. Exactly. Yeah, single single room occupancy. Um, yeah, I think it would be much more expensive, and I'll have to wait until I win the lottery or have written a hundred books for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been such a great chat. Um, oh, good. No, thank you. No, I've loved it. Thank you. It's um, stuff to think about, but I will reflect back. I might listen to it again when I'm wherever I am, out in the stick somewhere in September and October and remind myself that I do love it, really. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Alonement Podcast. If you liked this episode, please do rate, review or subscribe. It makes a big difference to helping other people find us. Until next time. So if anyone was wondering, I caught up with Sophia after the podcast and she said the two Tracy Chapman breakup songs are At This Point In My Life and The Promise. So hopefully you don't, but if anyone ever needs that information, there you go. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.